Welcome to Radio Free Culture from WFMU, where we examine issues at the intersection of digital culture and the arts. My name is Liz Berg, and this week we'll be talking with John Bergmeier, Senior Staff Attorney at Public Knowledge, about Orphaned Works. Public Knowledge is a Washington, D.C.-based organization dedicated to preserving the open internet and working on sane and balanced solutions to the copyright quagmires of our times. The staff and lawyers at Public Knowledge are fighting through layers upon layers of bureaucracy, arcane federal laws, and a dysfunctional Congress to come up with progressive solutions that will shape the future of the internet and intellectual property law. The Public Knowledge blog has provided me with many, many hours of captivating reads, and I recommend it as a very human, understandable analysis of current issues in the areas of copyright and the open internet. Visit publicknowledge.org to check it out. Thank you, John Bergmeier, Senior Staff Attorney of Public Knowledge, for joining me here on Radio Free Culture. Let's first talk about what is an orphan work? What does that term mean? Sure. I mean, the basic idea of an orphan work is that it's a copyrighted work, so theoretically, you know, you need someone's permission to use it in some ways, but you just can't find the author. Could be that the author is dead and you just sort of can't trace through the author's estate, or it could just be that the author is missing. But in some way, uh, there's no way to contact whoever it is that's the rights holder. And really, the way that inheritance works is sometimes, you know, you have one author and that's fine. But then it's like two generations later, because our copyright term is so long, the work is still under copyright, and the ownership is divided among, you know, great-grandchildren who might not even have any idea that they are technically now the copyright owners of the work. Or it could be a corporation, like a company, a publishing company owns the rights. It could be a work for something that was created in the course of someone's job, so it's a work for hire, or the publisher just bought the copyright from the author, and that company is long gone figuring out who owns any sort of remnant IP rights that belongs to some company that dissolved in, you know, who knows, 1950 could be almost impossible. So that's, that's essentially what orphan work, that's what it technically means. And what is the burden on a creator who wants to incorporate another's work into a new project, but say they can't figure out who owns the rights or, or, or maybe the person who owns the rights is dead or it was divided up amongst companies or grandchildren or something like that? What, what is the burden? What do they have to go through to actually show due diligence? Yeah, so the way it works now is we don't really have specific provisions in the law that deal with this problem of orphan works. So uh, if you're making what would be a fair use of the work anyway, where you just don't need the permission of the copyright holder, so if you're just doing maybe like a brief excerpt of something in a documentary or you're doing some sort of critical use where you're, you know, quoting something for critical purposes, well, even if you knew the name of the author or how to contact whoever the author is, you wouldn't need permission. So naturally, you also don't need permission from anyone in the case of an orphaned work. The problem is, well, what if you want to make a use which, you know, maybe it's on the borderline and you're not sure whether it's a fair use or not and you'd rather ask permission or you're just doing something which maybe is not a fair use. So you want to find out who you can ask, who you can get permission from, who you can maybe write a check to, you know, or who knows. And you just can't. So the burden can be that it just holds you up because you can't use the work in the way that you want to because you can't find anyone to get permission to, to get a license from. I would say that's the biggest burden. And of course, 
Uh, and, you know, maybe even if it is a clear fair use, sometimes you're dealing with a production company or an insurance company that is super cautious and they don't want you to rely on fair use. I think that's a problem in and of itself, but it's still like a real life problem that a lot of creators face. So you might still need to get permission even if what you're doing, uh, or at least like a waiver or something like that, even if what you're doing is undoubtedly totally a fair use. So there's a lot of ways when uh, not being able to track down who the rights holder is can be a pretty big obstacle. What you're saying is there's a chilling effect for people who want to actually do the right thing, follow the letter of the law and, you know, cover themselves in the case that, you know, the author of this work that they might want to incorporate into a new project is found. But do people actually do that in practice? Do the laws actually matter here? Or is there some sort of gray area where unofficially people are actually using orphan works? Um, yeah. No, that's, uh, I think there is definitely a legal gray area. You have people who just sort of do art regardless of the law. And to an extent, you know, that that can be great. But I think the issue comes not with, in some cases, not necessarily with the the creation of the work, you might have some, you know, remix artist or someone online who just sort of does the thing. And really, if the orphan work, if you're using an orphan work, and you know, the author is long dead, and really no one knows who the owner is, you'll probably not run into any problems, because who's there to complain? That said, if you want to take the next step and maybe commercialize what you're doing, put it out for official release or get it car- if it's music, maybe get it carried in one of the streaming services or iTunes or something like that. I think that's where you run into problems. So you have like the sort of informal, you know, remix culture that's happening on the internet, but then there's an obstacle to sort of taking it to the next level. And if you're an artist who's doing work, which is original work, but it's based on on remix and bricolage and things like that, you know, that could be an obstacle. If the material has no market values, uh, then maybe you can get into one of these gray areas and it doesn't matter so much in the grand scheme of things. But if there is some sort of market value or, or money you want to make off of something that you built off of the work of somebody else who maybe you can't find or maybe, I don't know, you you didn't bother trying to find, then we might have a problem. Well, you know, the problem here with, with copyright law uh, generally is that it has statutory damages. So even if there's no market value, if, if a rights holder does appear and they can prove that you're infringing and not and you're therefore you know, not doing a fair use or any other limitation or exception to copyright law, the statutory damages can be pretty high. So you don't necessarily even have to show any particular real market harm. You just automatically get, you can just basically say, well, instead of asking for real damages, judge, I'm going to ask for X thousand dollars per infringement. Uh, We have statutory damages, theoretically, because it can be hard to prove what the actual real damages are in copyright, and you don't want to leave someone whose work has been infringed without any remedy because they can't you know, mathematically prove the exact monetary loss. But it can lead to some really disproportionate and unfortunate problems with, you know, with online infringement and also with instances where there's an orphan work where you're like, well, you know, you're in a tough situation because you maybe would have paid had you known who to pay and you didn't know who to pay. You made use of the work and now you're potentially liable for for these huge damages. Do you think that's fair? There, there's two things. There's the structural problem and then like the short-term fix. The short-term fix that public knowledge, Electronic Frontier Foundation, a number of other organizations think makes a lot of sense is 
in the case of Orphan Works, you should have, number one, have a stronger presumption of fair use. So, you know, you should find fair use more readily in the case where it's an orphan work and there's some, you know, you come up with some means of making sure that people are legitimately and in good faith, like that they actually are orphan works. And two, you have limitations on statutory damages also in the case of an orphan work. So you're not saying that if I exploit an orphan work and I make a ton of money off of it and maybe that's real damage, you know, maybe there's some like real economic economically determined amount that you pay to the to the owner that comes out of the woodwork but it shouldn't just be this arbitrarily high number like you can get with statutory damages so that's Um, part of what a sane solution looks like yeah i think that's the the short-term solution to to just be a little wonky i mean the reason why we have an orphan works problem and this has been empirically measured like we we've done samples there's been studies that do samples of copyrighted works to try to figure out what proportion of them are are orphaned. And it's just because copyright terms are so long. You know, if copyright terms pretty much lasted more or less the life of the author, and then a little bit after that, you wouldn't have so many orphan works. But because essentially everything that has been created since 1923 is still under copyright, and because copyright terms are so long, and also because there's no registration requirements or there's no nor formalities associated with getting a copyright, it's just automatic. That means everything is copyrighted. And the copyright lasts for a really, really long time. And when that is the case, I mean, it stands to reason that huge numbers of works would end up as orphan works because there's just no means of tracking who owns the copyright and everything, you know, for for such long periods of time. Do you think that's a shame that so many pieces of art or or writing or music that could possibly be used aren't being used just because there's this orphan works wall here that we're hitting? Yeah, to me, I mean, there's a related issue, too, with just works that might not be orphaned works, but they're sort of abandoned because we know who the copyright owner is, but the, the, the copyright owner doesn't see any commercial value in the work, so they have no need to keep them in print. And with the Internet, there's really no excuse for anything to be out of print. So if you're a copyright holder and you have some reason to maybe want to suppress your work, like, I don't know, it's like a racist Bugs Bunny cartoon or something. Well, I guess, sure, I get that. That's your right as the copyright holder to deliberately keep things off the market. I might think it's a shame in terms of access to culture, but if you're the legitimate copyright holder and it's within the copyright term, that's fine. But you have these like large numbers of works which just sort of fall out of print and then are just sort of forgotten about. And, you know, maybe someone has the rights to them, but they just can't be bothered to, you know, get it digitized and put online or just made available. So, for example, I mean, there's Beatles albums. Uh, the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl was never put out on CD. You know, it was a, it was a, a, an official album release that was never put on, on CD. And, and in fact, I think places like the WFMU blog and stuff, you know, people have put together lists of, like, the best vinyl albums that have never been released on CD or or digitally online. And you have these communities of people who just sort of do needle drops and they just put them online anyway. But that's sort of, you know, the gray market we were talking about before. I'd really like to see them available through official channels instead of only for, for people who know where to look. So I think it's a huge shame. And not only that, there's empirical evidence just in terms of, there's a a little article from the Washington Post a few, about last year actually, called Why Does Amazon Have More Books from the 1880s Than the 1980s? Blame Copyright. 
Um, when you look at the number of books that are available either through ebooks or as print books on Amazon, there's a huge drop off around 19, in the early 20s, 1923, because that's when all of a sudden works are still under copyright. So all of these amazing and weird, wonderful public domain books from the 19th century, you can get online in a lot of places because there's no copyright. But then there's this zone where a lot of the books that were published, and we know who the authors are, so they're not really orphan works, from 1923 up to today, they go out of print and then they're forgotten about. You can maybe get them at a used bookstore, but uh, that seems to go contrary to the purpose of copyright, which is to sort of promote the creation of, of works of art and literature and knowledge, and to promote their dissemination when it's actually working to keep this stuff locked away from people instead of widely distributed. Does the Copyright Office acknowledge that things need to change or maybe that the current law as it exists is is holding us back? Yeah, so you always have people who will just deny that there's really a problem with orphan works or, you know, someone will come up with a list of orphan works and then someone from the copyright industry will like track down some percentage of the authors to say it's not really a problem and people are just looking to use the works for free or something like that. But, you know, apart from the typical sort of boo birds that I think you get on all these policy issues, there's pretty wide acknowledgement that orphan works is a real thing and it's a real problem. There's been a lot of opposition to orphan works reform for, from, say, photographers, because they're worried that because pictures are just traded so freely online, often without any metadata or information about who they're from, that they feel like they would lose more licensing opportunities than most. But So there's these like little edge problems. But the, I think there really has been acknowledgement by the, the copyright office and the people who work on this stuff, not just from the advocacy groups like I work at, that Orphan Works is a real problem and it seems like a, a pretty sensible area where we could reform copyright law. What needs to happen for any change to happen? Is Congress likely to buy into this plan? Is the copyright office going to change things? It's possible that we could get something. When I was talking about you have the 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 really the long-term fix would be to go after the fundamental problems of copyright terms are too long and there's no requirement for formalities. Like I personally would support a system where you get automatic copyright protection for everything, but it expires after say 10 or 20 years and then you have to renew it. And maybe you have to pay like five bucks to renew it. And that makes sure that the only works which stay in copyright for longer than you know a reasonable period of time are the ones where people still care about and are maybe still making money from and they have some value to them. But that is really difficult, not least because we were signed on to all sorts of international treaties, which, which would prevent us from doing that easily. Um, the short-term fix of just like a presumption of fair use when it's an orphan work and also a limitation on statutory damages, that's a little bit easier. The statutory damages might require legislation the presumption on fair use, I mean, that could be uh, a judge that just sort of makes that up and, you know, sets it as precedent based on the fair use factors. We've encouraged the copyright office to sort of put forward a report officially saying that they think that a stronger presumption of fair use in the case of orphan works makes sense because that would be very persuasive to judges if, if not really binding uh, on them. But in terms of like getting real reform, I mean, it's hard to get anything out of Congress. That said, we had a recent issue with regard to people being able to unlock their cell phones so you can move them from one carrier to another. Oddly enough, one of the reasons why that is hard is copyright. 
the DRM laws that we have, which were supposed to prevent people from copying DVDs and digital music, have been applied to all kinds of things, including stuff that you own. Like you buy a cell phone, and then th- and then they'll say if you want to try to use your T-Mobile phone on AT&T or vice versa, it's somehow copyright infringement. So that's been a problem when we had legislation, bipartisan legislation got through Congress to address that. Because once you get the public outraged enough about it, and you explain the issue very clearly to members of Congress and and, and people in the, the president's office, it, it does become possible to get these sort of narrow little fixes through. But it just does require a lot of public attention. I mean, just because something's a good idea doesn't mean it's going to happen unless there's some sort of political weight behind it. And it can be hard to get the orphan works issue to that level, largely because the, the, the harms that it causes are hard to see. You know, it's like if you can't see, you can't see the works that aren't being created and you can't see the works that are not available. It's not a harm that's right in front of you. It's a less direct consumer issue. It tends to really get librarians up in arms. And I think librarians are great, but they can't just snap their fingers and have Congress do what they want. So it, it would be very hard to get statutory changes done, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. And what kind of work is public knowledge doing in this area right now? So the copyright office is doing, it's it's not just on orphan works, but copyright reform generally. But orphan works is one of the many issues that's always up for debate. So the copyright office has been sort of amping up the amount of work it does and the amount of public comment it is taking on copyright reform issues. So we write up our papers and we go to their meetings and we give talks and presentations to try to convince them that our ideas are good ones. We we work with other nonprofits and companies and stakeholders from all over the place trying to make it so that there's a lot of people pushing for specific reforms that seem like they're they're likely to happen. And obviously we've got, you know, we're here in Washington DC, we've got people who are their full-time job who work at public knowledge is basically to be lobbyists, but instead of lobbyists for giant pharmaceutical companies and tobacco, we're trying to be lobbyists for the public. So we continue to talk to staff and members of Congress on the Hill, trying to get them to want to do the right thing. If somebody just got really pumped by all of these great things you were saying, how can they get involved? How can they get more information about public knowledge? Yeah, I mean, obviously, step one, go to our website, publicknowledge.org. Feel free to give us money if if you like. You know, we're a nonprofit, just like WFMU, and we... We uh, thrive on on just individuals giving us money. We love that. But also, it definitely helps for people to just generally stay involved in the political process. It, it's such like boring advice, and it, you know, I always sound like like a middle school social studies teacher or something when oh, I say you're it. Congressman, but you, <laughs> you absolutely need to sort of know who your member of Congress is, and you should call and write to your member of Congress, just saying, "Hey, this is an issue that I care about. There's this bill which such and such is introduced. I think it would be great if you could if you would support it, or are you aware of this problem?" Because members of Congress, they tend to get siloed, they work on their committees, they work on a couple pet issues, and then they'll work on things that are specifically about their district. But when there's something where people start bugging them about it, they, they tend to get interested. And we've seen that, you know, that, that's what happened with cell phone unlocking. Obviously, that's what happened with the SOPA debate a few years ago. So it is possible for these issues to, to sort of uh, to bubble up. I'm so glad to hear that there's hope for the future. 
here at WFMU, we focus a lot on music and I try to draw a lot of parallels, like why is it okay to sample orphan works or even copyrighted works in in one area but not in another? Like I went to I went to see an exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum a few months back earlier this year. It was this collage artist named Wangechi Mutu, and she makes these beautiful giant collage pieces where she cuts out noses, arms, lips, teeth from magazine pictures and books, and she builds these these lovely collage pieces but I just couldn't help but think what if this artist had to get permission for every stupid nose that she cut out of a magazine and pasted onto her larger piece of artwork yeah uh, but that's that's how things are in the music world right now yeah the music world has gotten sort of totally out of whack it's partly, you know, there's one case called the Bridgeport case some years ago, which is just totally wrong, not just in terms of it comes to like a dumb result that I just sort of disagree with as a matter of good public policy, but it just misreads the law. And it's basically based on that decision where it is now like the accepted wisdom that to use a sample in music, you need to get permission, or maybe you can argue that's a fair use. Starting with you know, someone's musical work, and then you've like distorted it so much that it's not even recognizable. I mean, that's not even a copy, really, at that point. It's just uh, the way that people conceive of copyright and music around the areas of like mashups and remixing is totally out of whack. And it's not just that it hasn't kept up with the technology, which people always say, I mean, it hasn't, but um, it also hasn't kept up with art itself, and with the ways that people create art. I think that the problem is so much of this, it doesn't really get litigated. It's not like people are just willing to, you know, make samples, make music involving samples and then get sued and then set the good precedent. I mean, it's more sensible to either just do something in a way where you're going to evade attention by basically not commercializing yourself and you just sort of slip under the radar or to just pay or, you know, to just pay the license, the license fees and be done with it. So we're in this bad situation with music where where the law doesn't make a lot of sense and there's not really a lot of motivation on anyone's part to change it because it can be, it's just so risky and costly to do so. Thank you so much for all you've had to say about Orphan Works today and all that you've done for public knowledge and everything that you've done on the behalf of the public in getting some more sane copyright laws passed. I'm always amazed by anybody who can bust through the layers and layers of bureaucracy and actually get some movement in the Copyright Office and in Congress. So congratulations and and keep up the good work. Well, thank you, and keep up the good work of being a very cool radio station. Radio Free Culture is produced by WFMU and the Free Music Archive and is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts. 
Our theme song is Smoothest Runes by Thick Business and can be found at freemusicarchive.org.